Aren't you grateful for the boundless love that carries us? We are grateful for God's grace today, for His goodness. It's good to worship with you in this service. I wonder, what did your mom teach you? I ask because I've been thinking about my mother this week as a teacher, as one who uh, imparted wisdom and truth into my life. And uh, I, I recently read something my friend George Bailey wrote about his own mother. And it reminded me of some of the things my mom taught me. For instance, as a teacher, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. She would say, if you're going to kill each other, please do it outside. I just finished cleaning. She taught me about religion. She would say, you better pray that that comes out of that carpet. And <laughs> contortionism. She would say, well, you look at the dirt on the back of your neck. I mean, how do you do that? I don't... She taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. And then, best of all, about justice. One day you'll have kids, she said, and I hope they are just like you. And sure enough, unfortunately, they are. But all, all joking aside, if I could single out one great thing that my mother taught me, it was love. She taught me to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And she taught me to love other people as well, especially she had great compassion, along with my father, a great compassion for the needs of people. So this morning, I want to teach you from Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 to 9, a message enrolled in the school of Nancy, uh, raising the king's kids. And we begin a series called Family Wise, uh, Wisdom for the Family from the book of Proverbs. Next week, we'll be launching our graduates off. All these 10 years I've been here, they've been your graduates. Next year, or next week, it'll be one of my graduates, the first time we send a son out for graduating uh, from high school. So uh, it's a great, great uh, time to be celebrating in God's Word. Please stand with me as we read God's Word, Proverbs 31. You know Proverbs 31, but I would guess that you don't know this part as well as you know the rest. We often preach from verses 10 to 31. But let me pick up with verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then in verse 26, perhaps yours says, Faithful teaching is on her tongue. I love this ESV translation. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Let's pray. Father, I have these fish and loaves. And unless you multiply them, we'll go home hungry. So would you feed us from your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you were entrusted with the responsibility of being tutor to the king, if you had to teach one whom you knew would someday bear the weight of royalty, who would rule over a group of people, how would that change the way you taught your children? 
I'm interested in this mother of Lemuel. We don't exactly know who she was. What we do know is that she had a deep concern for other people. I mean, I know as you read it, you see that she's teaching her son humility and chastity and temperance. But I want you to see what's beneath all of that. It's, it's that she wants him to be concerned about the last, the lost, and the least in his kingdom. And she knows that if he becomes uh, uh, in some way concerned about other things, he may miss the most important things. She teaches him a curriculum of kindness. This is, after all, the work of parenting, to teach our children, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this work is important work, and it's, it's work that nobody else can do for us. I love Tony Campolo's wife, Peggy, her response when she was raising their children at home. She had chosen for a season to stay at home with them. And people would ask her when she went out with her husband, what exactly do you do? And she would say, I am socializing two homo sapiens in the um, dominant Judeo-Christian tradition so that they might become transformers of the society, thus bringing the eschatological utopia which God intended from the beginning of creation. And then she would say, and what do you do? (laughs) And by comparison, it just didn't seem that important. This is the work that we do. And there is a curriculum of kindness. It is, it is teaching. And it's even in the word compassion. In Hebrew, I saw this week, the word uh, compassion is rechemet. Uh, and it comes from the root word rechem, which means womb. That is, from the womb comes compassion. So that every time you and I are compassionate to another person, we are, in a sense, giving birth. We... We are taking away the old and giving a brand new opportunity. And it is, it is like the love of a mother to give mercy to other people. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for you will receive mercy. And as those who have received mercy, we understand what it is to be taught kindness. The words of kindness have come to us. So we must share those words with others. It's interesting to me that that Lemuel's mother teaches him just a couple of things. First, when to close his mouth. And second, when to open his mouth. For instance, as we unpack this text, I want you to see in verse 1, it's the words of King Lemuel, an oracle, literally a warning. His mother taught him. And then listen to her warning. What? This is the question of a mother three times. What? What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? In other words, you are my son. You're the son of my womb. You're the son of my vows or my prayers. As Hannah prayed for Samuel, I prayed for you. Now what are you going to do with your life? And even in the question, there is the teaching of humility. Because even though he's the king of the nation, he's still her son. And she has the right and the responsibility as his mother not to allow him to get too full of himself as king. Uh, Denzel Washington tells about going home after he had met with great success in the motion picture industry. And, and he went home one day, he said to his mother, walked into her living room, just spread out his arms and said, Mom, did you ever believe all of this was going to happen to me? Mom, did you see it coming? Did you know what would happen with my life? And she said, Oh, son, would you please go and wash all of my windows? You have no idea how many people were praying for you when you were a knucklehead. You appreciate moms who don't let us get too full of ourselves. What are you doing? She says, I gave you life. What will you do with that life? She says, don't open your mouth in 
praise of yourself. Don't don't open your mouth to say I do too quickly. Now, it's interesting to consider who Lemuel was. Who is this King Lemuel? He's not listed, for instance, in the lists of kings that we see in Kings and Chronicles. We don't exactly know. If you don't know, don't feel badly. All the commentators I read this week said they didn't know exactly who Lemuel was. But it's interesting to know what the word Lemuel means. It means belonging to God. So these words apply to all those children who belong to God. These gifts of God whom we have held this morning, who belong to God because their parents have given them back to the Lord. Each child has the potential of royal birth because they can become, through salvation, children of the King. Look at the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. So these children whom we raise as they become followers of Jesus Christ have opportunity and stewardship of responsibility. They will make an impact on the world and the difference they make will will in some way relate back to parents who said to them occasionally, be careful how you speak of yourself. Be careful in your relationships. Isn't that what she's saying in verse 3? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. And one of my men said this morning, are you going to preach that? That sounds a little pessimistic. Well, I don't think she's against marriage or relationships, but rather she's concerned about what those relationships might do to him. Because there are, after all, many accounts of kings in the Scripture who have been shipwrecked along the way. It is possible some have, have surmised that this is Bathsheba, who lost a child, who now has another son, Solomon, who belongs to God. And maybe as she walks through the palace, she calls his name with her favorite nickname, Lemuel, belonging to God, belonging to God, she calls his name. And she understands that as king, there will be great harems at his disposal. And there is that possibility that those whom he chooses to marry will draw his heart away from the Lord. And she's concerned about that as a parent. And we should be concerned about those things. A friend of mine says that after his mother raised him, she raised him from the time he was 12 because his father passed away from cancer. She did a marvelous job, by the way. And she would always say to him when he was going out at night, remember, you can get in more trouble in one night than you can get out of in a lifetime. Now, those are wise words from a mother to a son. And those words stayed with him. And my mother would wait for me when I went out on dates at night. She would wait and I would come home and she would have her Bible open. I'm not making this up on the kitchen table and say, I was praying for you tonight. Now, there's real accountability from a mom to a son. And this mother has the audacity to ask, to whom will you say, I do? And if Solomon is, in fact, the one mentioned here, he said, I do an awful lot. 700 times, we learn in 1 Kings chapter 11, he was married, 300 concubines, and and here's the truth. 1 Kings chapter 11, after all the descriptions of Solomon's great wisdom and all the great choices he made and and the temple that he built to worship the Lord, at the end of the day, it says in, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, however, Solomon loved many strange women. Now, that's a King James translation, but he loved foreign women. That's what it means. And he brought them and their gods with them and built temples to their deities. And it says, when he became old, his heart was drawn away after other gods. This is the fear of a Christian parent. 
that somehow we will raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and then they will marry somebody whose heart will, will, will draw their heart away from the Lord. I think it's the most important question we ask. I know we live in this materialistic world and the main question is, do they have a good job and do they have a good education and, and, and are they successful people and, and will they amount to anything? But we ought to ask, do they love the Lord Jesus Christ with their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength? Because that will make more difference than, for instance, vocations and incomes ever will. To say that we want our children to love the Lord is very important. It's as if Solomon's mom, Lemuel's mom, is saying, no missionary dating. Don't, don't think you're going to bring people in that way. This has ruined many kings, she says. Don't open your mouth too quickly to say, I do. Don't open your mouth, she says in verses 4 and 5, having a, a sixth sense about temptation. Don't open your mouth too quickly to get drunk. Because, she says, if you do, you might have clouded judgment that would keep you from taking care of the oppressed and the destitute and the poor and the needy who are under your rule so be careful. It's not that she says, well, alcohol is, is chemically evil. That's not the case that she makes. But she says, if you give yourself over to alcohol, there is the chance that you'll forget the laws, and that you will oppress your people. He wouldn't be the first ruler or the last to do that. And she was concerned about that. And perhaps you, like me, have been to those funerals where I was in Austin, a 17-year-old killed by a drunk driver on 183. Frankly, I've preached as many of those funerals as I want to preach. And so I'm not in favor of people getting drunk and driving. I think uh, this is wrong. And I appreciate the people of Stockholm, Sweden, who, who recently bought 750,000 gallons of red wine and had it converted to ethanol so that it could be used in the city buses. It seems to me that's a safe use of alcohol. Maybe you know of a safe use. I would just say to you, make sure that it's safe. And I would say to those of our students who face the, the challenge of underage drinking, it's the big challenge we face on the board of the university that I serve. Underage drinking is the biggest moral challenge we face with our students. And my word to you about that is that Christian students don't break the laws of the land. And there are specific laws about that. And her call to him for temperance is really deeply rooted in her compassion for people. Listen to what she says. Lest, lest did they drink and, 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 and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. She cares about people and so should we. Government should care about people. I've been concerned with you this week about Myanmar about the people of Burma, because we have a Burmese mission that meets at three o'clock in the afternoons. And I love the people there and their relatives are back there and they wonder whether or not their relatives will survive, not just the cyclone, but the aftermath of not having clean water to drink and food to eat. And I have a friend named Elizabeth Hankins who wrote a, a novel recently called The Calling. And I've been reading that book in my spare time this week. I was sitting in my green recliner reading her book, The Calling. Sometimes I've put it down because it's a rather violent book and it's not for children, by the way. And, and I've been reading it. It's about the people in the Sudan and, and the way that they've been oppressed and taken advantage of. And, and it's also about a, a mother. And, and I was reading that story about this mother. And as I was reading that story, I was just overcome as I read about her losing a child and then adopting another child and raising that child as a single mother. And my wife looked over me. She looked up from CSI just for a moment and said... You're crying. And I said, I'm not crying. And she said, you are crying. Why is that book making you cry? I said, you'll have to read it for yourself. But I love the compassion of a mother 
to care for. The, the love of those who adopt children is to me the most marvelous love. It is likened to the love of the Heavenly Father who chose to adopt us and bring us into His family. This is our story. And you have to love that love. And when we learn compassion, then we're able to share compassion with other people. So she says, close your mouth. Don't speak of your own plot. It's don't, don't, she says, uh, say I do too quickly. Don't open your mouth to get drunk. But do open your mouth, verse 8, for those who can't open their own mouths. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Like Lillian Carter, the mother of our former president who, uh, who once worked as a nurse in a deep south city where, where there were different doors for people of different races. And she insisted that all people come in through the front door, changing the social custom in that city. Later, at the age of 68, she went on a Peace Corps mission. She went over to uh, India and there served the lepers. Forty years later, her son and his wife, Rosalind, went back and spoke to the people there who remembered her compassion, who spoke about her courage and her strength and her dignity. It's not unlike the woman who is described in the rest of chapter 31. There is a love of a mother when she speaks this curriculum of kindness that makes a difference in the lives of other people. I saw it, for instance, in the movie Evening this week when we picked it up at Barnes & Noble. The young man who sold it to us said, it's the ultimate chick flick. And, and I picked up this movie and there was a scene in it that I needed to see. It's a scene in which a young woman goes in to see her mother on her deathbed. The mother is played by Vanessa Redgrave. Her name is Anne. And, and Anne is talking to her daughter. And her daughter says, I'm so conflicted. I've conceived a child and I don't know what I am to do and the mother says to her there are no mistakes and there's this flashback where Vanessa Redgrave remembers when she was a young woman and I think this role is played by Claire Dane but anyway she she is uh, making supper in the kitchen like a traditional 60s uh, mother or 50s mother and she's there and she's in the kitchen and her 10 year old daughter Connie is over here and she's trying to dress Barbie and and the four-year-old, uh, Nina, is playing the xylophone. And the father is trying to get his work done. And finally, he just sort of explodes and says, I can't work while she plays the xylophone. And picks up the four-year-old and says, she's all yours. And hands her off to mom. And mom says, but I just need 20 minutes. In 20 minutes, I can finish. And she's cooking spaghetti on the, on the uh, stove. And she's got the meat here and the noodles here. And she's trying to get it all together. And she obviously can't. And meanwhile... Uh, Connie, the 10-year-old, is saying, Barbie will be late. And she says, late for what? Can't she wait? No, she'll be late for her party and she's going to miss everything. And it's as if a switch goes off in her mind and she looks at this four-year-old that she's holding in her arms and she begins to sing. I see the moon and the moon sees me and the moon sees someone that I'd like to see. God bless the moon and God bless me. And God bless the someone that I'd like to see. God looked down from up above and picked you out for me to love. God picked you from all the rest because he knew I'd love you the very best. And the spaghetti is overflowing. And the, the food is burning. And little girls are learning what it means to be loved and to loved. And the young daughter walks out, the grown daughter, who is a young woman, walks out of the room deciding that she will give life to a child, that she will raise that child 
Lemuel's mother says, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And then she says in verse 9, defend those who cannot defend themselves. Not only speak up, but stand up for them. And, and the image is a beautiful one for the rights of the poor and the needy. I think it is no accident that in God's providence, we've started a couple of mission churches on our campus in recent years. We've started other ones. There's a cowboy church in Pasadena. Ask Pastor Eddie about that one. That's an interesting church in Trinity. And you know the Korean church that we launched. You know about the churches that we've planted. But the two that we've started on campus are a Sudanese church and a Burmese church. That is the people from Myanmar, the Burmese. And these churches, when we started them, the Sudanese were obviously already going through political oppression, but we didn't know. There were just 200 Burmese in the city of Houston. We just had a, a handful of people when we started that congregation with powerful uh, leaders, uh, Tong and Mong, this uh, husband and wife team. They are chaplains in the medical center, and they decided to start this church. They didn't know that the UN would begin to send people to Houston and that now hundreds of Burmese, many hundreds of Burmese now live in this city. And uh, this uh, mission has been a powerful Mission to care for people. I, they asked me to come and preach their third anniversary sermon. Just a couple of weeks ago, I, I went over there to the gym and preached. I prayed for strength just to deliver the message. I was already very tired from having already preached five times, but I wanted to speak and I hope it made some sense. I'm not sure if it did, but the interpreter made something out of it, surely. And then at the end, we sat down to eat. And when we got our food, Barbara's beautiful army provided this... Uh, chicken and rice and green beans and we sat down to eat and when we sat down to eat I sat down with people I had never met a man whom they told me had been in a refugee camp for 18 years in Thailand and there were two young women there one was holding a baby very close the other was sitting there and I began to talk with him through the interpreter through the pastor and and the one young woman began to tell me about her mother and her story and how they had been in a refugee camp and how before that she had been sold into a brothel of soldiers and how they had beaten her and broken bones in her back. And now she's in the United States. And this month she goes to a doctor to see if they can operate on her back. So that she will be able to stand. And be able to, uh, to, to work and, and live a, a normal life. And, and as she was talking I was just overwhelmed. Because the things I worry about don't match up to what she's worried about. And I said well where is she? And, and the pastor said well she's here in Houston but she's not here. But the young woman shook her head and said no she's here. And I said, I would love to meet her. And they brought her over to the table. And I just visited with her for a while. And I was really overcome. And then I asked about the young woman across the table. She was wearing traditional Burmese clothing. They said she'd only been in the United States for three days. She was holding a three-year-old little girl. She looked like a teenager herself, though they said she was 24. And she was holding a little girl. And it was rather like the picture of a mother kangaroo and her baby. The little girl was kind of crouched down in the pouch of her mother's arms there. And she would only lift her head to get a bite of chicken or rice. And then she would go back and retreat. And, and I was sort of watching her across the table as she looked out every once in a while. And she started to warm up a little bit. And then they brought, they brought her some chicken strips and, and uh, fried chicken. And her mother packaged it up. I noticed she didn't eat a bite of it. She took it home so that they would have food for the next day. And then out came the brownies and the little cups of styrofoam, uh, styrofoam cups of ice cream and the little girl didn't know what the ice cream was, I think, because she was unimpressed at first. But when they opened it and gave her just a taste, she, she looked up and wanted more. And then before I knew it, she was dancing and spinning around the table, eating the ice cream. And I sat there at the table and wept 
over a young woman and her daughter who must have thought Houston to be a very strange place after having only been here for three days and tasting the ice cream of compassion. And I said to a friend of mine, I don't know what good Tallawood did that day, but I don't think we did anything better than feeding a cup of ice cream to a little girl. And there is a compassion that cares for those who cannot speak up for themselves, who cannot stand up for themselves. And thank you, Tallawood, for being the kind of church that cares about social justice, that cares about those who cannot care for themselves, because this is the heart of the Heavenly Father. It's what a mother taught her son, the King. And what I want to teach to all the sons and daughters of the King, like Prince Caspian's uh, The Children in that movie this weekend, You will see, it seems to me that you have been entrusted with great responsibility. And who teaches the stewardship of power in our world? Who teaches the curriculum of kindness? I know a king who spoke up for people who could not speak up for themselves, who stood up for those who could not stand up for themselves. And when he had finished speaking, they lifted him up on a cross and crucified him and buried him. But on the third day, he rose up so that you and I could live up to the power of the Holy Spirit whom he would send to us so that we could do what he taught, that we could keep the curriculum of kindness. He who said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I feel sorry for those who say, well, I just don't have the gift of mercy. My gift is, is prophecy. I don't really care about people who are hurting because it's not really a matter of spiritual gifts. It's a matter of the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace that causes us to care about other people. And I wish for you that you could become a child of this king Charles Spurgeon says his mother used to pray with audacity every night for him beside his bed. She would kneel down and she would pray, Father, if Charles doesn't become a follower of yours, if he continues in sin, it won't be because of ignorance, because you know, Lord, I have taught him to follow you. And if he doesn't receive you as Savior, my soul will stand up and testify against him on the judgment day that he knew that he needed you. In Jesus' name, amen. He heard that every night. All of his childhood, and no surprise, he became a follower of Christ and a proclaimer of the gospel. And I pray that prayer for you, that you might become children of the Most High God. Look at the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the privilege of proclaiming the truth. Help us, I pray, Lord. To know when to close our mouths and when to open them. To call upon the name of the Lord because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that that time will be now. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.